everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency in Running podcast. My name is Liz, and I will be your host. Today, I'm so excited to have my good friend Emma Rady on the show today. Emma grew up as an adoptee, and her story is just so beautiful and really stems from a lot of beautiful origins, and I'm so excited to have her share today about that journey and just how it's transferred into this professional and educational pursuit in attachment styles around adoptees. So stay tuned. So I'm so excited to have Emma on the show today. Emma and I actually met in college and we kind of kept in touch over the years. She came and visited me in London when I was in London studying. And so we've just had this kind of long friendship over the past couple of years. And I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Um, Emma, why don't you give an introduction to yourself? Sure. Liz, thank you so much for having me on. I think it's so important to be able to talk about adoptee stories. It's something that's not really known or talked about in this world at the moment. And so for you to allow me to bring this awareness to other people is so special to me. Like you said, we met in college, but I feel like we weren't really the best of friends in college. It wasn't until we got a chance to hang out in London that we just had a great time and our friendship blossomed from there. So I'm so happy to have you in my life. And this is such a cool opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so cool to kind of read about your story and how you've come from like a Chinese background as well, because my mom's Chinese. And so I I think (laughs) on that kind of like note too, like, I just think it's really cool. And she read your story as well and just thought it was very beautiful and very, very amazing. That means so much to me. I know that you had messaged me when I was in China over Christmas, which is something that I'll talk about in here. I was just doing a heritage trip with my three little sisters who are also adopted from China. One of them is from Nanchung. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. (laughs) And your mom is from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's where she grew up and that's where her brother still lives. And so I think that was really cool because I saw it on Instagram and I was like, wait a second. I know that. (laughs) that. Yeah. That was so cool for us to be able to do. And I'll, I'll talk about that trip. A little bit later. But in terms of an introduction to myself, I will take it way back to I grew up in Denver, Colorado. When I was 18, I moved to Seattle and went to the University of Washington. Go dogs. <laughs> it clicked for me my junior year of college, which is I feel like so lucky because not everyone knows what they want to do yeah. that young. But clicked for me that I needed to be in the psychology field and needed to be in the mental health field to work with other adoptees. And so I applied to master's programs all over the country and found myself at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And I am now in my third and last year there. Master's programs are typically two years long. So it's like I've gone through another college. (laughs) But right now in my third and last year, I'm doing my clinicals. And it's this amazing opportunity popped up for me. And I'm actually working at like the leading mental health organization for adoptive and foster care families. So kind of had this dream of working with adoptees when I was 17. It has all kind of dominoed into place. And so now I'm here in DC doing that work and getting to do what I love with adoptees and their parents. That's amazing. And I know that you are really, what you're doing study-wise, you're really focusing a lot on kind of relating it to your own personal story. And I know that you're wanting to like specialize in attachment styles in relation to adoptees. And I just think that's so cool. And so it's also just something that I think a lot of people like don't specialize. And that's like, that. I feel like that's something that you don't hear about very often. 
Right. I think that, you know, my personal story is certainly what drives my passions at this point. And just talking a little bit more of with my experience as an adoptee, I wrote about this a little bit in my article, but recognizing the first days, months, and years of your life and how traumatic those were for Chinese adoptees is so important and plays a role in the attachment style that you have now. Attachment theory is really based off of um, your first relationships, which typically are with primary caregivers. And so for adoptees, you know, I mentioned in my article that I was given up four days after I was born. And so that separation from birth mom and myself or any infant is going to hardwire your brain differently. And so as an adoptee, the trauma of that separation changes the way that you move through life in terms of relationships and navigate other relationships because you started off of a, off of a basis of who can I trust really? Because you couldn't trust the person that you had spent nine months in, in the womb. You know I mean? So it's that first experience that's so critical to understand and just to better understand yourself as an adult then too. It's really interesting. It can be weird to take it all the way back to that because it's not something you remember, but it's critical. Yeah, no, definitely. And I know a lot of a lot of what we'll talk about today, we'll start with your story. And Emma's really going to go into this article that she shared. And it is one of the reasons that I reached out to her to do this interview that I will definitely have included in the show notes of this episode that you should go read. But she's going to be sharing on her story and just kind of challenges that she faced in the past and then challenges that she still faces today. And then we'll get into kind of her passions, current passions around therapy. And then we've got a couple of questions that we're going to be answering from Instagram. So I'm really excited to really get started and learn more, have our listeners learn more about you. Sure. So I was thinking about this. I started my article with an experience that happened in first grade of one of my white classmates coming up to me and pulling her eyes back and just noting on my physical appearance. And so when I entered kindergarten, elementary school, that's really when I realized that I'm adopted. Because we see with transracial families, and what that means is that the child is of another race than the parents, is that typically the first acknowledgement that you are adopted and that you are different than your parents and your aunts and uncles and cousins is when you start school. Because when your parents pick you up from school or come into school for some reason or another, those little brains are thinking to themselves, what's going on there? You don't look anything like your parents, but I look like mine. So are they your real parents? So I think that, you know, I was adopted when I was seven months old and it's almost like I was in a bubble until about five or six years old because there was no acknowledgement of the fact that I look different than my parents. I was just accepted. I was just loved. I was brought into a family and it was pretty normal. Then also, I just want to mention that I have three little sisters who are also adopted from China. And so over the years, we went back together as a family to pick each sister up. And that was a really cool experience for all of us because we got to go back to China and experience the culture and not be the minority, walk around and see other faces like ours. But, you know, once I had started school and those instances started popping up of, you don't look like your parents, 
intrusive questions of don't you miss your real mom? Don't you want to find your real family? Are they your real sisters? That's really when for me things shifted. And so I think that a lot of people think that once you adopt a child, it's happily ever after. This that's the end of the story. Like this poor orphan finds this loving family and then that's it. The rest of their life is filled with love and joy and happiness. But the thing that I think for people forget is that adopted children and adopted adolescents become adopted adults and they need to navigate their identities and their unanswered questions as an adoptee. And so to be honest, being an adoptee and growing up in Denver, Colorado, which is not a super diverse place was really hard for me. There were some really hard experiences in which I talked about in the article. I truly every morning would start my day standing in front of the mirror and looking at my face and being so disappointed in what I saw. I was looking back at yearbooks while I was in quarantine with my family in Denver and I realized it was shocking to me that I was the only Asian in my class until eighth grade. And then I was joined by another Asian girl in high school. And that's it. I don't think I had any teachers who were Asian. I didn't have classmates. There was one girl that was Asian in kindergarten and then she left. But I grew up seeing white faces. And so I didn't really know that being Asian was okay or that it would be considered beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so going to school every day was so hard for me because I couldn't hide my face. You know, it's just this unusual thing that I think we deal with as adoptees is that physically we're Asian, but not being exposed to the culture or the food as much. You feel white. Like, I always wished I could check the Caucasian box when I was asked, what race are you? Because I was like, this doesn't feel right. And so to have that internal conflict of like, the world sees me this way, but I don't feel this way. That's a battle and a struggle that going through middle school and high school is really hard because we're so vulnerable during those years. And we want to fit in so bad that... I mean, it was just really, really challenging. And so what did that look like kind of transitioning into, I guess, like college? And I know that you did that move. And I've spoken in previous episodes about like moving. And I even remember like moving from Southern California to Bellingham, Washington. And race was like one of the first things that I noticed is that like in Southern California, it was super diverse. I was surrounded by, you know, other Asian people, Black people, Indian people, all kinds of people. And then I came to this high school in Washington. And it's this really small town in Northern Washington. And I think we had like maybe five black people and just, Mm -hmm. I was like, where's the diversity? And I think that when you come from a background that isn't just predominantly white, you tend to notice race a lot more. And I know that like I've throughout my life kind of noticed how people treat my mom. I noticed like specifically there was one time in London that we were walking, they were visiting me and we were walking through Trafalgar Square and some guy that was just sitting and doing one of those like acts or whatever, he was sitting there and he looked at my mom and he said something like, oh, ni hao. And it was like it's like just don't like that's just not you know well you know Liz that's happened to me too (laughs) before (laughs) I can relate it is kind of crazy how insensitive people can be and that just also goes back to those kinds of questions of you know they don't mean any harm by asking where's your real family or why didn't they really want you but Mm -hmm. it's so painful you know and so you know with your story I just think that 
it's so important to say, this isn't just an adoptee issue. It's a race issue. It's not that, you know, when I moved to Seattle, suddenly I felt, you know, so accepted and like at home. It's funny that when I moved to Seattle, you would think that I would suddenly feel accepted and, you know, more at home. There are a lot of Asians in Seattle. It's one of the reasons why I chose the University of Washington. The opposite happened. I rejected my Asianness even more. And I truly believe that it is a reason why I went through recruitment and joined a sorority to stay away from more Asian people. And that's the thing too, is that being an adoptee is it's almost like you're a different kind of Asian because I couldn't relate to say the international students that were walking around UW's campus because I just, I didn't know anything really about Asia or Asian culture. And so I still felt really out of place and where I felt most at home was in my sorority that a lot of them were white individuals. Yeah. So kind of coming into college, you know, it was still a struggle. It probably wasn't until my senior year of college that I felt comfortable saying I'm Chinese or I'm Asian American. Like my, some of my sorority sisters will laugh and like if they listen to this and say, yeah, you used to make us call you white. <laughs> I would cry. Like, I mean, it was really hard. Um, but, you know, through so many experiences and through therapy, mostly, I became more comfortable in my own skin. And I mean, that's been evolving now since probably senior year of college. Yeah. Which isn't that long. Yeah. But it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and you said that from like junior year, that's kind of when you first realized that you really wanted to pursue this career and really pursue like a master's and kind of take on this journey to go and really pursue what you're truly passionate about. And that's kind of just really showcasing that, you know, what you're, what you've experienced growing up and throughout your life is not this beautiful thing. There's a lot of different underlying issues. And yeah, I think that has it, has it like shaped your outlook and perspective on, you know, love or how families can be created at all? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, there are a number of things that pop into my head when you ask, has it shaped your outlook? Has my story shaped my outlook? And one of the strongest things that it's shaped from a young age is just the idea of how families can come together, Mm -hmm. that there are so many different ways that families come together and any of those ways are beautiful. None of them are worse than another. Uh, Family is about a community of people that accept you and love you no matter what. And so it has been an amazing thing to know that I don't have to be blood related to anybody in my family to know that they will always have my back always love me. It's the beautiful thing about family. And then I would say another outlook that I've gained is the importance of raising your children and having people in your life that look like them, meaning raising your children around diverse people if they are people of color. Because in my story, I was raised in a predominantly white environment. My whole family is white. I went to predominantly white private schools. And like we had said before, I didn't really have an example of what it meant to be Asian, uh, an Asian face to look at. And so something that we ask clients at my agency, actually parents, is that if they have a transracial family, you know, you ask them, who's at your dinner table when you have friends over or at a party when you have a party? And if their answer is, oh, they all look like me, there's a problem there. If you have a transracial family, you need to walk the transracial 
life. So that's something that, you know, when I someday have my own family, it will be so important to me that there are other Asians around us. Or, you know, if I adopt a child of another race, that they will have people in their school, they will have teachers, and they will have people in their community that look like them. Because I don't want them to go through what I went through. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also just, I wanted to add in one more thing uh, to that question on outlook and perspective. I think we really see, I wrapped up the article this way, that through your journey, you can find a lot of purpose in the pain that you've been through. I think anybody can relate to that. The more adverse things that we experience in our life, they have shaped us into who we are today. They have made us stronger. And without going through these struggles of identity and hardships, mental health wise that came up in regards to being an adoptee, I might not be on the path that I am now, which is trailblazing to spreading adoption awareness and working with adoptees to help navigate their own stories and hopefully provide some relief to them. So that's kind of a saying that I live by is that there's purpose in every painful experience that you encounter. That's awesome. And I know that you and I both share in, you know, the faith of Christianity as well. And I think that we, I think that there's a lot to be said about that as well. And I think, I mean, for me, like I've gone through things like eating disorders and like sexual assault. And I don't think that when you're going through these hardships that you ever think that you would be so vocal about them. And I think that like, there's so much to be said about like these plans that God has for you in terms of like, these are why he's having you go through these hardships is he wants you to be vocal. He wants you to outreach and like reach these people. And like, like you've reached, like, I think you were, you kept posting um, last weekend about it. And it was the amount of like love and support that you got back. is just, I think something that you would have never imagined had you never been so open and vulnerable about it. Right. And I, you know, as you were saying your spiel about faith, I was just thinking about, that's like one of my favorite memories with you is meeting you on Christmas day, two years ago in London at Hillsong and like worshiping that day. It was so great, but certainly, you know, the challenges that I faced in my life so far, you know, obviously it's not all adoption stuff. It's mental health stuff too. People don't get into the mental health field without having typically a more personal experience with mental health challenges. And so what I just wanted to say is that my faith plays a big role in how I get by day to day and how I navigate through the harder parts of my life and make sense of my story and what's happened. I also just want to say as a therapist, your openness to talking about the adverse situations that you have been in and circumstances is great. We need more people like that because openly talking about our struggles and our stories, they'll touch someone. If you touch one person, that's all that matters. If you help them get by in a day. So it's just, these are important topics to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just, I think my whole spiel is also always like when I am sharing about uncomfortable things, I think I always want to think about like, why are these actually so uncomfortable to talk about when they're very real issues? Mm -hmm. And I think my goal is always to try and make these talk topics less taboo to talk about and more just make it, if anything, like a learning experience. And I know that you've probably shed so much light on the realm of adoption. And I think just, you know, you know, sharing that it's not just like, oh, adopted a child. We live happily ever after the end. It's, it's so much more. Yes. I, I just, I so agree with you. And it's just important to recognize that, you know, I think in anyone's story, no matter how perfect and lovely their life looks, 
they've struggled. It might be different for everyone, but we have. And it's so interesting to me that those are the things that make us most human, but we don't talk about. Those are the things that, you know, can connect us with the most real and deep and genuine friendships and relationships in our life. But we try and breeze past them and they're seen as taboo. And no, like we need to create a world now where we can make these connections. And the only way to do that is to be more human and more authentic and talk about these harder things that we've been through. Not only sharing your story, but also in the past, have you faced any challenges in the past or even in today that you continue to face? And how do you, how do you deal with that? Sure. So I always can stem things back to my story in adoption, but mental health wise, you know, if I'm being honest, like I've struggled with major anxiety and some more major depressive episodes. And so faith has played a big role in how I have gotten through those things as well as surrounding myself with a support system and good people that know me and love me and care for me. That has been, that's actually a challenge (laughs) that has come up in the past for me. And I know that we also want to talk about attachment and attachment styles. And this is kind of a good segue into this, but I'll come from an adoption lens on this. As an adoptee, forming relationships with people, romantic or friendly, has been really challenging. Mm -hmm. Because like I said at the beginning of this podcast, my story started off from a foundation of I cannot trust you. I can't trust anyone. If I can't trust the people that gave birth to me, then I I don't know who I can trust. And so, you know, being adopted and brought into a family that was loving and able to provide all the things that any child would want or need helped to correct that feeling of mistrust. But it's something that stays with you forever. That feeling of unworthiness and rejection and abandonment, those things stay with you. And so, you know, if we want to get into the attachment style stuff now, (laughs) good. I want to give a little background for people that don't know very much about attachment. Attachment theory stems from the belief that we create attachments with our primary caregivers and then the relationship that we have from them and that we learn to have with them is something that stays with us and is fundamental in our development of relationships that we have in the future, friends or with romantic partners. And so there are four attachment styles, a secure attachment style, which everybody wants to be. It's something that few are. (laughs) And then there are, there is avoidant attachment style, anxious attachment style, and disorganized attachment style. And so again, coming from an adoption lens, we often see that adoptees land in the avoidant or anxious. A lot of them are in the anxious, which would make a lot of sense because of the abandonment issues. And so this is something again, that, you know, doesn't only relate to adoptees, anybody, everybody has an attachment style. And you could have been raised by your biological parents and there was something that, you know, wasn't exactly right. And it impacted your attachment style from then on. It's so interesting, but by learning about your attachment style, you can gain so much insight on yourself. You can begin to become comfortable in relationships with people. You can communicate effectively. There's so much healing 
healing that can come from knowing how you relate to people in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I, this is a random thing that I've seen before, but I don't know if it's a myth or not, but is it true that people can change attachment styles throughout their lifetime, kind of depending on where they are in life? 100%. So one of the things that I love about attachment theory is that it's a recognition that attachment styles are more fluid things. Is that, you know, if you were raised to then have a more insecure attachment style, you're not doomed for the rest of your life. It it depends on who you come into relationship with. I think it also depends on if you go to therapy and you learn how you are in relationships, what your triggers are, the way that you just tend to tend to be with other people. And so, yes, they can change. And as you get to know yourself more and become more secure in your foundation of who you are, then you can become a more secure attachment style. That's amazing. So yeah, and we'll talk more about that because I know we have some questions that have to do with deeper relationships. Yeah. So before we get into those questions, did you want to share just more about kind of your educational and professional pursuits around that? And like, I guess like what your, what your plans are, I feel like people probably, or maybe have not heard of, you know, relating attachment styles with adoptees or people that have adoption backgrounds, you know, they may not know that attachment styles even exist. I know, which is incredible to me because the way that I view the world now and anytime I meet someone and become friends with them. I view it through attachment theory and the attachment lens. And you can kind of, the more that you learn about these styles, you can kind of be like, oh yeah, you're a little avoidant. I see what's going on here and you can call it out. And that helps you understand another person. And then you can communicate to them what you need from them. So anyways, in terms of my professional career and the path that I'm going on, I am going to be done with my master's in the spring of 2021. Unfortunately, we just found out that we will not be having a commencement. So it will be celebrated virtually in some form or fashion. But right now I am seeing clients at CASE, the Center for Adoption Support and Education. Every mental health counselor has to go through this internship year where they get 600 hours of, you know, actually working with clients and getting firsthand experience. And so knowing that I've wanted to work with adoptees and families who have been touched by adoption for years now, I feel so happy in this place that I found myself to to have just continue to pursue exactly what I want to do. God and other forces of the universe have laid them perfectly in my lap. And so there could be a potential employment offer, you know, at this place. And I would be so honored to continue in that case. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I plan on continuing to write about this stuff. Just like you, I think through this podcast, you're talking about these subjects that are seen as taboo right now or things that aren't talked about. And so I want to write about these things and I I don't want to hold back. And so I see writing kind of coming into my life as well and spreading awareness. And also, of course, you know, in terms of therapy after this is pursuing licensure. Mm. And I will be taking the certification test to be a certified counselor on November 1st. So that's another step, another credential, (laughs) which I should be studying more for at this point. 
But that's another thing that's on my list of things to do. It's just going to be continuing to grow in this field. I really hope to be a force in the adoption community to spread awareness and to talk about things and to bring our stories to other people's awareness. So that's that's where I'm headed right that's now. Amazing. That's amazing. And I'm sure you're going to see so much more success. You've already seen so much success with this one article. Yeah, uh, thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm sure this is like just the beginning for you. Kind of blows my mind. I just, you know, like I had said, wanted to touch one person, you know, and I mean, I think it's been read by thousands of people at this point. So that's amazing. And that's awesome. And it's only oh, been a week. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. It's only been a week. It's crazy. I love it though. So if you, if you didn't mind, we can just kind of get into these questions. I know that we've got a couple that kind of have to do with more of your relationship with parents and it's kind of a mix between your parental relationships and dating relationships. Okay. And you know, this might be a learning point for me too. Know that you're you're in a relationship and I'm single, so this could be a good um, <laughs> quick therapy session. But so the first question is, well, I guess we can start with the parental one and then we'll kind of just focus on dating for the rest. So how do you come to peace with your parents' failures or gaps in the way that they raised you as a causation to having a certain attachment style? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And it's a question that I think can be sad for people to even have to ask. Looking at our parents and understanding that they are human can be hard. Nobody is perfect. And I I have a lot of empathy for parents, but, you know, becoming aware of the experiences that were more difficult between you and your parents and exploring those and gaining insight into those is really important. And the way that you do that is therapy. And maybe talking to one of your closest friends about what you experienced as a child. Attachment theory stems from the idea that your attachment style is based off of your first relationship, which is with your parents. And so if you find yourself in the more insecure category, understand why that is. What what didn't match up for you then, or maybe even still doesn't match up for you now in terms of relating to your parents? We often see that anxious attachment styles have more unresolved issues with their parents and they have more mixed emotions towards the experiences they had with their parents. And so you have to think about what are my mixed emotions stemming from and why do I have these uh, unresolved issues with my parents? What happened there? And then for the avoidant type too, I mean, they they tend to be more in the mindset of, I can't rely on anyone. That asking for help or relying on anybody is futile and is not going to serve me well. And so what happened there? When was the first time that you felt like I can't rely on someone? But it's more about, you know, diving into your childhood experiences and intentionally reflecting on, on those experiences and the things that maybe didn't make you feel so good. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it can definitely be a tough question to answer just because it is kind of a loaded question. And I think it's different case by case because obviously right. all of our experiences growing up with our parents are different. And so I think that that's definitely something that you really have to like, you know, dive into and nitpick at different events because I feel like they're, you know, if, if you've had traumatic things happen to you, I feel like at least for me, like you tend to kind of just block those things out and then you'll remember them like, you know, years later and be like, oh, Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. But yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, there, you know, there's something called attunement, which is really, really important between a parent and their children and between friends and friends or romantic partners. You know, attunement means that you can kind of check in with the person that you are in relationship with and be able to know what they need in that moment. And so 
you know, that comes with effective communication too. And knowing what your triggers are, knowing how you tend to be in relationship with people, and then communicating that to whoever you're talking to. You have to learn to be so brave and straightforward with who you are and what you need from someone, which can be really uncomfortable, I feel like today, for some reason, in order to have a secure relationship. You can make your relationship secure, but you have to be willing to communicate and your partner also genuinely want to put in the effort to understand each other and be there and be that person that they need you to be in that moment when your anxious or avoided tendencies are coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this kind of is like stemming into one of the dating questions that we had got. I guess that it can be kind of dating, friendship, family, whatever, but just around how you can work or put in the work to become a more secure attachment style without actually dating a secure person. And I feel like after I read the book Attached, which I'm sure a lot of people have, it's like, okay, so the goal is I just need to become a secure person. Like, how do I do that? Should I just, you know, (laughs) search for a secure guy to date and then I'll be fine or? Well, you know, um, it said in that book Attached, which I've also read that secure attachment style type people are typically snatched up quite early. Yeah. So (laughs) then it leaves the insecure attachment styles to be together, test that out. It's hard to find somebody secure. But like I had said in that previous question is that if you are dating someone avoidant and you're anxious, you have to be mature enough and willing to communicate the different needs you have from one another and for then your partner to be able to lay out those things. Mm -hmm. So it's not gonna, it's just really taking it down to the basics and it might sound so funny, but you know, saying to your partner, I need more attention from you right now and this is why. And then an avoided partner may be saying, listen, I need a little bit of space from you. I'm going to go and do like, or I need a little bit of space. I'm going to go and do this thing. This does not mean literally it's this basic does not mean that I don't love you or I don't want to be with you. It's just that I'm going to go off and do something on my own because I need to do that. You just have to communicate those things. Whereas if you don't communicate that your partner goes off and does his own thing and you have no idea and you're anxious and you have no idea what's going on, you're going to send yourself into a state that is hard to recover from. And then there's going to be a blow up and there's just going to be a miscommunication, misunderstanding of what you guys needed from each other in that moment. You've got to catch it so early before it blows up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel like, and you're totally describing like a lot of my past relationship experiences like that. I think you're so right when you say communication is simple. It almost sounds like you're talking to a kindergartner, like just that's what I mean. (laughs) Like just communicate what you need from the other person. And I think the more that I'm kind of having dating experiences, I'm trying to become that person that Mm -hmm. communicates how I'm feeling or communicates my needs. But you're so right. Like if that other person isn't willing to meet you, even at that basic level of just, you know, exactly. It's not not going to work. Exactly. And so, you know, you had started this question too. I think a really important thing for people to think about is I so badly want to find the secure person, but am I secure? Mm. Can I effectively communicate? Because you might want that secure person, but are you ready for that to be that yourself? I mean, you've got to do your own work again and understand yourself to even be able to effectively 
communicate. Yeah. I feel like it's really easy to, you know, especially in those situations where, because I am definitely an anxious type and I am the person who, if you, you know, just leave me for weeks on end and I have no idea what's going on with you, I'm going to freak out and I'm going to, you know, want to fall back into those anxious tendencies. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so hard not to, because it's like, I think it's really, you know, one of the healthy things that you want in a relationship is being able to have your own separate lives. Yes. Mm-hmm. For anxious people, it's just that sometimes they need to have that communication of, hey, I'm going on a trip for two weeks, or I've got, you know, I'm really busy at work for two weeks. And this is what I'm going to be busy with. It doesn't mean that I don't want to continue seeing you or being with you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so it's, I think it's definitely hard. And it's definitely an internal thing that like, even I've been trying to work on in terms of just, you know, being more okay with myself and learning right. more about myself and these different tendencies. So that like, you know, as you're learning about attachment styles, it's not only that I'm going to be like catching this in other people and being like, oh, like you're an avoidant type or whatever, but also kind of catching myself and, you know, saying, okay, Liz, like, let's like, you know, stop the brakes. Let's take a second and just reevaluate, you know. Right. But also in that moment, you know, being so kind to yourself and saying, okay, let's pump the brakes. But what do I need right now? Recognize what you need right now. Communicate that to your partner. Realize why you're feeling this way in the first place and just showing some empathy towards yourself. Again, too, I think that honestly, a the person that's supposed to be in your life, whether that be friendship, again, romantic relationship, parent, I mean, they're going to want to effectively communicate with you. You can get a really good sense of this is not going to work out if I try and communicate with you and you're like, no, 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 you're too much. Or I don't, I, well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to communicate with you. I, I don't want to. Catching that early is going to help your heart and your anxiety and that kind of stuff and stepping away from it. Because the thing is, is as you learn more about attachment styles and again, who you are, you are going to become more aware of what you need in a relationship with someone, be able to tell them what you need. And if it doesn't happen, walk away from it, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it can all, it can always be hard to walk away because I think as an, as an anxious type, you always want to also be like the fixer person. Right. Yeah. Like want to, you know, you see an issue in a situation or in a person and you're like, yeah. no, no, no. Like I can be the one to fix this. I've got it. You know, I can, I'm, I'm going to be the one to change this person. But I think it's, you know, like you said, at the end of the day and people needing to do that internal work on themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's ever going to be a situation where you can be the one to fix that other person. They have to want to. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, we do see that anxious types tend to date avoidant types because there's this feeding of this cycle of anxiety, which doesn't feel good to you as a person, but it's what your attachment system knows. So it feels good to that. It's like, I want to be loved so bad. I'm going to work so much harder to get your attention. And then when it doesn't come, like it sends you into this anxious state and it hurts you, but it keeps your attachment style like amped up and alert. And it's, it's, it again, you know, just like you said, like I've been saying, doing your, your own work and understanding yourself and being able to tame. I don't, I don't like that, but, but kind of tame your attachment system Yeah. Um, in the moments when you're feeling like you're getting worked up is what is possible. It really is possible, but you've got to understand yourself. Yeah. That's it. Uh, And I know that that was also one of the questions that we had gotten is how to date and avoid an as an anxious type. And so I guess my question is as an anxious type as well, is it possible, I guess, for an anxious to date and avoidant? Like, because I feel like after reading attached as well, like I looked back at a lot of the people that I've, you know, gone for after and I'm like, they're definitely all just avoidant. And you're right, like it feeds that cycle, and you just—it's not even that it makes you feel good. It's just that cycle of anxiety in your attachment system that you just need to keep it going. But I mean, maybe this has to do just more with finding, you know, getting down to that basic level of finding the person, you know, at least be able yeah. to communicate with me. Yeah, 
that. So is it is it is it possible for an anxious type to date successfully an avoidant type? Yes. But again, it comes down to how willing the avoidant type is to communicate with that person. You know, there are avoidant types that are out there that actually, you know, every human being, it, it's not that avoidant types don't want that. Same with attachment types. There's something called the attachment dilemma where like the thing that we want most with people which is with everyone is intimacy and to be known and to feel loved is something that we also fear the most. And so the fear keeps us from getting close to people, whether we're anxious or avoidant, more so like in the avoidant category, they want that intimacy and closeness. But I think it, 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 again, it comes from the ability to have that communication with the person you're in relationship with and them being able to admit, like, I do want this, but it's hard for me and then their partner being like I get that it's hard for me let's do this like really slowly and like again like kindergarten talk let's communicate like that <laughs> so, yeah. no, that's really interesting and then our last question has to do with how dating apps may benefit or be detrimental to certain attachment styles <laughs> this is a, it's a good question I think that dating apps are incredibly detrimental to feeding your insecure attachment style nowadays unfortunately it is hard to meet people more naturally but you know I think that in the culture that we live in and the dating culture we live in there's a lot of ghosting there's a lot of the non-effective communication there's a lot of gray area and for insecure attachment types which most people are again I just want to say it's not a good situation we're just like totally playing with ourselves and I mean our attachment systems our minds our well-being and so I get like people are on dating apps Sometimes, especially now during COVID, this is the way that you meet people. But I suppose I would just say as quickly as possible, pick up on the red flags. Don't ignore them, you know, and walk away if you need to. But then also start the effective communication from the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. Don't let the gray area slip slip in, you know, which is weird to do with a complete stranger. But I also think we could totally create a culture of more honesty and authenticity and what we want from another person. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's always like, there's that whole like saying that like, oh, girls can be so crazy when they're asking for what are we, what are, you know, in like yeah. super early on. But I feel like sometimes it's just like, I was genuinely just trying to see if you still were interested in pursuing this, but you probably yeah. saw that as this big blow up of like, do you want to get engaged to me? Or like, really? like that level of just like intensity. Well, and that's what's sad about, I think our culture nowadays is that, I mean, the idea of effective communication is suddenly thought to be this blow up of, oh my gosh, you want too much from me. It's it's not. <laughs> the people that don't want to effectively communicate are just probably not ready for a serious relationship anyways, or any kind of relationship. And weeding those out, which might leave you with a very few options, but those are better than, you know, being in something for months that, you know, is not going to go anywhere or is going to end up hurting you internally more so than helping you. That's true. Um, yeah. Very true. Yeah, I've definitely had those experiences as well. I'm trying personally really hard to get away from dating apps. I'm kind of like you. I don't, I just don't like the idea of meeting someone online. And I think because like, I don't know, I just like the idea of having met someone naturally or even just through friends. And like, I think it's just so much better than trying to, you know, post like the best photos of you possible to show off yourself. And like, it's it's so 
it's so unrealistic. It's so, it's just so unfortunate to me that this is our dating culture now because it is so based off of physical appearance. And, you know, like we talked about this whole episode of just wanting to be more real because that's how you actually form deeper uh, relationships with people. Dating apps aren't the way to do that. They're judging you off of your physical appearance and that doesn't feel good. So I wish I could like snap my fingers and we could all, you know, meet people naturally um, at this point, but this is where we are now. So, you know, if people are on dating apps, pull out that effective communication right from the get-go. Someone that's serious and wants something seriously isn't going to be afraid by it. Yeah, no, yeah. It's it's honestly just as simple as that. It's sad, but it's- I know, it's so hard. It can be so hard. But. Yeah, but awesome. Well, that wraps up all of the questions that we got. And so at this point, I just wanted to give you space to add anything else you'd like to add in terms of sharing more about yourself. I know I'll be including Emma's Instagram and blog links in the show notes. But yeah, if you had anything further. I don't have too much to add at this point, but yes, I'm so excited about my blog. Just like Liz and I have talked about this whole time, I think it's important that we start getting stories out there that people can relate to and can find authenticity in. This world, unfortunately, that we live in doesn't share, you know, too often the deeper parts and the struggles of day-to-day life. And it's really day-to-day things. And so we can be people by sharing our stories, we can be people that are relatable to other people and their struggles. And, you know, I think that during COVID and during this, during this unusual time, people feel more isolated than ever. People were feeling isolated before this, and now they're feeling really isolated. And so let's just be real during this time. Let's, let's start shifting into a movement in a world where we can connect on deeper things than physical appearance and our successes. But, you know, the hardships that we've been through and the challenges, because again, like I said, your story is going to touch someone if you speak out about it. And if you can change someone else's life, just one life um, and help them to feel less alone, then that seems worth it to me. So share your stories, be vulnerable, take part in effective communication. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's all I really have to say. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emma, again, for being on the show today and just being so vulnerable and real and raw with your background and your upbringing. It was, like I said, the her article is such a beautiful story and you really should go read it. But yeah, again, just thanks so much for being here and sharing on your expertise around um, adoptees and attachment styles. It was so awesome. And I definitely learned a lot. Oh, thanks, Liz. Thanks so much for having me on. It was so great to be able to talk to you about this stuff. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency in Running podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed it. If you have a question or comment, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram or Twitter. I'm just at Liz Newcomer. And then the podcast has an Instagram. It's at Resiliency in Running. But yeah, I really do hope you enjoyed it and hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.